Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us today. I don't know another word to use to describe what seems to be going on in the Michigan Republican Party other than chaos, utter chaos. On Saturday, things heated up in the party even more than they had been. Michigan GOP Chair Christina Caramo and State Party General Counsel Dan Hartman were both technically removed from their positions by a vote from Michigan Republican leaders. But Hartman says the meeting itself was illegal and illegitimate, and Caramo says her opponents are just trying to burn the party down. So now there will be an extended battle over whether the removal of this controversial chair could even have happened. And, of course, Saturday's events happen with a lot of context. The Republican Party is in debt, in part because Caramo has not been able to raise money since she got that position. And one possible reason is that she's an outsider and has scared away a lot of traditional donors who've helped fund the party for a really long time. And without money, it's just really hard to make things run. Events don't get hosted. Doors don't get knocked. The party doesn't get organized the way it needs to in order to run candidates and win votes. This is important, of course, because we're just weeks away from the beginning of the election season here in 2024. Lots of very important decisions to make, lots of races that will be on the ballot. And both parties are gearing up to try to make their best pitch to voters. It seems right now as though the GOP in Michigan is doing it with its hands tied behind its back. So what does it mean now that Karamo was voted to be removed? And what does the party need to do to get things back on track, to raise more money, to attract voters? That's where we begin the conversation today. A little later in the hour, we're going to talk with a political consultant who tracks voter data, as well as a conservative scholar who can talk about some of the controversy that's happening in the Republican Party. But where we want to start is with a Michigan Republican who has been trying to remove Christina Caramo from her position as chair to explain why that's true and where we are right now with her saying, well, you don't have the power to do that. Vance Patrick is the chair of the Oakland County Republican Party and has been working alongside others to remove Karamo as chair of the state party and tried to move ahead. Uh, Vance, welcome back to Detroit hey, today. Morning, buddy. Great to have you here. Also, uh, heads up for listeners. We did reach out to Michigan Republican Party Chair Christina Karamo. She did not respond to our request for her to join us. That invitation is always open, though. We would love to have her come on and talk about her side of things. Uh, Okay, Vance, I want to start here for folks who don't already know what your position is on Karamo. Uh, Tell us, why have you wanted to remove her from her position as chair? Well, Stephen, actually, I 
have not necessarily been involved in the removal. We've been sitting back just um, watching this take place. I was there on Saturday because as Oakland County Chair, I'm an ex-officio, so I, I do go to the state party meetings. But the um, when I sent out my email to our, our uh, that was published quite a bit, um, I was just stating the facts that where we are today. Mm -hmm. And again, I wasn't part of the team to remove her, but I've been watching on the sidelines with the situation of um, no money being raised. The Mackinac uh, event that we have um, every other year, this uh, in 23 last year, it was um, not very well attended. Normally you get presidential candidates to attend um, a couple of years ago, I was on the porch and Dan Crenshaw were there. There were people that just came to hang out at the Mackinac Conference in the Republican Party nationwide because they know how important it is and the long history of the Mackinac, um, uh, Mackinac event mm -hmm. that we throw every two years. And it just didn't happen. And um, with uh, the way Oakland County, the way Terry Nelmoff, my vice chair, and I have been running it, we saw that nothing's been happening. So we implemented um, a uh, canvassing coordinating uh, person that's been knocking a thousand doors uh, a week for our last election that we just had. And with that being said, we knocked, we got in uh, Mark Gunn, who's our uh, Troy city council, Maggie Kurtzwell. We kept her in South Lyon. So um, we have been treating this as nothing's happening at state parties. So, the county parties have got to pick up the slack and do the heavy lifting because yeah. there there seems to be no state party right now. So so what's your take on what happened over the weekend? Uh, there there was a vote. There was a vote to remove Christina Caramo from the chair position. She and some others say, hey, you didn't even have the right to hold this vote. And so it's illegitimate. Uh, of course, there there's a process that will unfold to determine who's right there. But but give us your take on, on what happened and whether this was done properly. Well, you're right, Stephen. The, the RNC, it's up to them to recognize um, that this was a legitimate um, removal of the chair. Um, the vote was 40 to 5 to remove her. And the um, the fact that they called this an illegitimate meeting from the beginning and they themselves, the Caramo team themselves told their supporters to not come to this meeting. Now we had credentials or I should say there were credentials presented um, for everybody that was outside protesting. They could have come inside and made a difference in the vote. Um, but they were, they were telling their people to not come in. Dan Hartman, the general counsel, he was there. So that kind of legitimizes the meeting, even though they said it wasn't a legitimate meeting. He was there. So, so the, the dispute is about this process and about the, the legitimacy of it. But, of course, the background, I, th I think, is or the most relevant background is how the, the, the date on the calendar. Right. Uh, it's, it's January 8th. The, the, the presidential primary is literally in weeks at this point. And then pretty soon behind that, we will have primaries for all the other things that uh, we get to decide here in Michigan in 2024. 
give me my give me a, a, a thumbnail from you of where you think the party is and how damaging all of this is to the efforts to have people have you know uh, good Republican choices on the ballot this year. Well, Stephen, you're. I almost started off by saying that your opening monologue said everything I needed to say. So <laughs> peace out. <no? laughs> and 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 all, with all seriousness, um, the state party's job is to hire field staff to canvas the entire state. Our Senate candidates need help to 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 help get them over. We've got some great Senate candidates that are out there right now. We've got some great congressional candidates. They all are going to need help, and they'll 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 have to do it on their own if the state party cannot get their you know act together. And um, it, it's sad because this is not the way to run the state party. Yeah. So so. I wonder what you make of the, again, the damage that this will do. So if this plays out in a way that retains Christina Caramo as chair, or if it if it plays out in a way that she no longer can serve in that capacity, again, the date is something you can't change. Is it too late to make up for the things that have unfolded over the last 12 months that have left the party in this, in this position. Well, again, Mike, last time we were talking with you, Stephen, we're, you're expecting somebody to come in and do two years worth of work in 10 months. That's literally what you're expecting. Mm -hmm. So there's no way one person is going to be able to, to achieve this goal. Now, whoever is elected to the position, better have assembled a really good team because that way they might be successful. But if, if Christina stays in, then we go back to where Oakland County has been. We've, like I said, we've already, when we had Donald Trump here um, back in June, we raised a ton of money. We had 3000 people there. What that's done has been allowed us to continue staffing our office, continue to hire staff that will take up the slack where the MIGOP has failed um, the county parties and the congressional districts. So I also want to talk about the, the I guess, ideological strain that is kind of taking place in, in the party. Uh, a lot of people will say that part of the problem is that Christina Caramo and Republicans like her can't appeal enough to old school or moderate or, or traditional conservatives, whatever label you want to put on that part of the party. And that that's one of the real reasons that the financial problems exist and that it's become more difficult to figure out even, uh, you know, strategy in terms of uh, recruiting and, and financing candidates. Uh, how much is that what's going on? And how much of that will even change, I guess, if Christina Caramo is removed and you get someone else in there? Well, again, whoever throws their head into the ring is going to have to blend the two sides because we, we need the grassroots to get out there and door knocking and we need the people that write checks. So the grassroots has something to hand out. You, the candidates need literature. The candidates need 
um, airtime on TV, radio. And again, this has to be a blend of both sides. And that's that's the only way we're going to be successful. Again, the people that are door knocking don't necessarily have the thousands of dollars to contribute to the party. Mm -hmm. The people that do have the thousands of dollars to contribute to the party sure as heck don't want to go door knocking. Um, So I want to have you talk about uh, the statewide picture versus the local picture. You were talking about how county uh, parties and and folks at the local level can try to make up for some of the things that the state party is unable to do right now, uh, not just because Christina Caramo is chair, but also because now it's just kind of at a stalemate over this this vote over the weekend. But what right. about statewide races? I mean, we have a Senate race uh, that that is pretty important uh, here uh, this year. Uh, of course, there's also the presidential race. Uh, is it possible for the local parties, uh, you know, like Oakland County and, and, and others, to make up for what's not happening at, at the state level in races that big? Right. Well, you know, um, Stephen, Mary, or Mary Patterson is the way we've been treating it is that's the top of our ticket. And if the state party remains the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've just burdened us with the additional work of having to pick up statewide races mm-hmm. and the presidential race. So again, um, we're, we've, we've expected this um, for the last, you know, six months, four to six months when we realized that nothing has been moving. And so we've been gearing up to have to carry the weight of picking up Senate candidates and presidential candidates. But again, like I said, we have, Terry, my vice chair and I, we've always been focused on Oakland County. But like you said, unfortunately, we may have to do the heavy lift, which is going to put a strain on on all of us. But um, we're here for the fight. So before I let you go, Vance, I just want to get your perspective on how unusual this is. Uh, you've been a, a fixture in the Republican Party here for for some time. Have you ever seen or experienced anything like this? Well, Stephen, that, that's a great, I loved that question because of the fact that I'm fairly new to this. I ran in, for Congress in 2020 in the 14th Congressional District, mm-hmm. so I've only been around since 2020. But you've been a Republican a long time, right? Oh, yeah, lifetime, yeah. lifetime. <laughs> but, but, but what I'm getting at is I've said to our more senior level people that have been in the party as candidates or or have been in the party for decades, I said to them, has it ever been this bad? And they said, it's never been this bad. And I said, well, obviously I got it at the wrong time. And their response (laughs) is, maybe you got it at the right time. Hmm. Uh, Meaning that there's opportunity to fix it? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Vance Patrick, uh, chair of the Oakland County Republican Party. It's always great to have you here with us. Uh, I really appreciate you coming by today. Thanks, Stephen. Call anytime, brother. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We've been talking about what is going on inside the Michigan Republican Party and how Republicans around the state feel about the vote over the weekend. 
to oust Chair Christina Caramo. She says it was an illegitimate vote, and now there will have to be a decision made by the Republican National Committee about whether she stays or goes. Of course, all of this is unfolding as we come very quickly up to the election season here in 2024. Really weeks away is our presidential primary, and then we'll get started with state and local races in the spring. How much can the party take of this as it tries to get prepared for all of these elections? This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined. I want to turn now to someone who has been following Republican politics for an awful long time in our state. Dennis Darnoy is the founder of Densar Consulting, which is a local political consulting firm that tracks voter data. I want to talk with him about where Michigan Republican voters are and how they're reacting to all of these new developments that are happening within the party. Dennis, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for having me. So, like I said, you've been tracking political behavior for quite a while now. Have you seen anything like this ever before in the state Republican Party? What are you making of this moment? Well, no. I mean, I've never seen a state party in Michigan or elsewhere break down uh, in this capacity. Um, and, you know, right now, as you head into uh, a major election um, to, to have this disarray, to be this disorganized, to essentially have now uh, two entities claiming to to be the Michigan GOP. Uh, no, we, we haven't seen anything like this. And unfortunately, um, it doesn't seem like there is a solution that's going to uh, occur immediately. And, and that's very problematic heading into this election cycle. I mean, as somebody who whose sympathies lean more toward the Democratic Party, I guess um, one of the things that occurs to me, and I've said this before, uh, you know, uh, parties go in cycles sometimes. And, you know, there are ebbs and flows. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. The Democratic Party was kind of lost in the wilderness, at least in terms of electoral power in this state for a really long time. I mean, it, it, it went on for years. Uh, and the disarray then was a disconnect, I think, between the party and voters. I mean, the, the party itself didn't seem to be in structural trouble so much as as there was just this this breakdown of mission and I think discipline. Uh, this does seem to be different, what's happening to the Republican Party. I mean, it, it, it's not just about politics or connecting with voters. There's something fundamental about the way the party has been managed uh, that that bleeds over into things like fundraising, for instance. I mean, the, when you look at how low the balance is in the state party's account, for instance. I mean, this is this is about something, I guess, fundamentally different than what we normally see with with parties. Absolutely. I mean, the the issue really is the ability to to govern yourself, and as you mentioned in previous years and previous cycles. Um, the, the Democratic Party may have not been connecting with either their voter base or Michigan voters in general. That's not the issue here. The issue here is the fact that Republicans can't even figure out how to manage their own party, what direction they want to go in. And in the years past, I mean, you did have someone who was a, a person who could raise money. 
um, had people on staff that could connect to the grassroots. And, and there would be arguments, of course, about whether or not to emphasize one policy over another or one direction over another. There would be fights about which candidate was best situated to to carry the party forward. But you still had a mechanism by which to raise money, by which to have conventions, to you know have uh, annual events up on, on Mackinac Island. Um, and th this is completely and totally different. They can't even uh, agree to, you know, to, as to which direction the party wants to go. And absent that, I mean, what you do find is now, um, you know, whether it's local parties, county parties, everyone out on their own in, in the wilderness until there is a central unifying uh, figure uh, at, at the state party, which again is absolutely necessary in, in a critical election year like 2024. Yeah. So, so I want to talk about what happened over the weekend with Christina Caramo. There was this vote to remove her and the party's attorney. Do you think that was a good move? Do you think it was a legitimate move? And I guess where does it leave us now given that they are challenging the legitimacy of uh, this decision? I mean, it was a necessary move. Uh, again, the party was not raising money. The party was in debt. Uh, the party was struggling to figure out which direction it wanted to go in. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it happened in, in 2024. I think from a strategic standpoint, it would have been better to air all of this out and 2023 and and to head into this election cycle with kind of a, a unity of purpose um, instead of trying to defeat Democrats we're now trying to you know defeat each other um, and now the the Republican National Committee is going to have to weigh in on this and again that's the problem that I see is that this is going to drag out uh, for a while so instead of you know, being able to recruit candidates to try to take back the state house, which um, you know Michigan is very competitive heading into 2024. Uh, instead of being able to try to get voters out and and people door knocking for a U.S. Senate candidate, um, you know, in for a presidential race for all these very very important races that are going to take place in Michigan, um, you know that that's not going to take place. Uh, get setting up the proper structure until much later in the cycle. Um, and again, all, all the while the Democrats are out there raising money and, and preparing their organization, um, and, and Republicans are still trying to figure out who's going to drive the bus. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm talking with uh, Dennis Darnoy. He's the founder of Densar Consulting, a local political consulting firm that tracks voter data. We're talking about all the turmoil that is unfolding in the Michigan Republican Party as we get started with the election season here in 2024, and, and I'm going to say this over and over again, we really are on the heels of it right now, just weeks really away from the presidential primary here in Michigan, and then pretty quickly behind it, we'll get started with state and local races. We'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us uh, a call and let us know what you make of what's going on in the Michigan Republican Party. We'd love to hear from folks who consider themselves Republicans or conservatives about how they're taking all of this in. What are you making of uh, what's going on? And what do you expect the effect will be of all of this on GOP hopes this year? Uh, Democrats won both the state house and state Senate. The last time we went to the polls for the first time in about 40 years, 
Uh, Republicans have been eager since that happened, of course, to take at least one of those chambers back. The map would maybe suggest that they have a decent chance at doing that, but they certainly can't do it if uh, there's no money to support candidates, which is uh, kind of the case right now with uh, the the trouble they're having fundraising, but also with this rancor that is going on, this incredible uh, inside fight in in the in the party over over politics over control, uh, it would be very difficult, I think, to mount the kinds of campaigns uh, that would deliver on the promises uh, that that uh, party officials are hoping to be able to make. Uh, give us a call. Let us know what you would do or what you would have them do. Also, want to hear, of course, from Democrats who are looking across the aisle. Perhaps thinking, what is going on? What does all of this mean? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Uh, uh, Dennis, I want to talk just a little about where the average Michigan Republican voter is in terms of the kind of values they are holding right now and the kinds of candidates they want to support. I, I do think that this all connects in some ways to the fight within the party over what the party should be, what it should stand for, and whether someone like Donald Trump is uh, the sort of paragon of, of Republican candidates or someone like Peter Meyer, who says he wants to be in the U.S. Senate, uh, is, is more the prototype. I mean, there's a big gap between uh, those two polls. Oh, there's <laughs> most definitely, and, and and this is again a continuation of a of a fight that we saw going back to to 2022 and 2020. Um, there is a, a part of the Michigan Republican Party that is still focused on past events um, and is still holding on to grievances from the the 2020 election. And then you have uh, another segment that is, you know, looking forward. They're they're seeing what's going on in the state. They're seeing what's being done under uh, complete and total Democratic control, and and they think that there are opportunities, whether it's in the field of education, whether it's the economy, um, that that they could make inroads. And I. You know, I agree that um, you know they have Republicans have a good opportunity to to take back the House in 2024 if they were organized. Um, the other issue that we're facing too is is that there are 13 uh, you know House districts that are going to be or expected to be redrawn. Um, I don't know that they that necessarily provides Republican um, opportunities based upon where the districts are drawn, but given that there is such a, a small difference in terms of the majority that the Democrats hold in the state house, you know, one or two seats makes an, an incredible difference. It does. And if Republicans are still fighting and arguing over, you know, the the form of their state party chair, here's another opportunity that they may miss. So, um, you know, yes, there there's still that division within the party. But I do think, and and what I've heard and seen and experienced personally is that there is excitement uh, about the possibility of taking back the state house in in November of this year. Let's start with Barb in Sterling Heights. Barb, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. Sure. Um, I think while listening to your conversation and even before then, you know, hearing stuff on the news about Christina Caramos and how Republicans in Michigan want to oust her as party chair, I can't help but compare her to Donald Trump. Um, there seems to be so much 
similarity between the two people. The fact that she doesn't accept, uh, wouldn't accept if she lost an election, mm-hmm. um, and her whole behavior as well. And I just don't understand how they could, they would want to oust her but then still support Donald Trump? (laughs) It's a great question, Barb, because as you point out, there is a lot of similarity between uh, the the, the two of them. Uh, Dennis, uh, make a little sense of that for us from the the perspective of Republican voters, like what is on their minds. And and let's throw this out there as well. You know, the polling right now uh, suggests that if the two candidates for president in November – are Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump might win Michigan. I mean, he's ahead in in those polls. At the same time, uh, you have Republicans saying, well, wait a minute, Christina Caramo is just uh, not the right person uh, to lead the party. Uh, Help us us understand that. I mean, certainly, you know, Donald Trump is a unique individual. A lot of people try to imitate him, but they can't uh, duplicate him or replicate him. Um, but the truth of the matter is Donald Trump, uh, you know, through his the people that he's hired, um, is running a successful campaign. He has people who have brought both the money people and the grassroots together. That's something that Christina Caramo couldn't do. And she said that she was going to find new avenues of money to help support the, the party that she was going to, you know, be able to be this unifier who who had a, a different vision and a different approach to the party, but still was going to be able to lead it uh, into this election cycle, that it was going to be a functioning party. And she was not able to do that. Um, and the fact that the party is in such debt, the fact that the conference that they held up on Mackinac Island was such a disappointment, um, was a pale comparison to anything done in the past. Um, is is why Michigan Republicans say that she is not the person to lead this party heading into an election cycle. So again, when you look at Donald Trump's campaign, I mean, they are you know doing doing very well. They're staying on message. They are leading in Iowa. They are, as you said, doing very very well here in Michigan. Um, and if you go to any of the swing states and look at the polls, they're doing very well in those states as well. So. It, you know, she may try to take the same, uh, you know, verbal approach uh, to leadership that Donald Trump does. But the fact of the matter is she is ineffective in that. She has not replicated any of that success. And she's not the one to lead the party into a very competitive cycle, which we will have here in November. So so what do you make, though, of this cleave in the other races? So in uh, the Senate race, for instance, this is going to play out in some of the primaries in the legislative races. This is going to play out. How powerful are the interests of the, I guess, old line or traditional conservatives who are members of uh, the, the, the Republican Party? And how powerful uh, is this newer wing uh, that, that whether it's led by Trump or not, um, as you point out, has has real legs and, and, and has a real grasp on the direction things are going. 
No, I mean, absolutely. Look, this is Donald Trump's party. And, you know, the candidates who are going to be running in the primary are not going to differentiate very much on policy from from Donald Trump. Um, You're going to see, you know, even, you know, you had brought up the name of Representative Peter Meyer earlier. And even he, who was once a very vocal critic of President Trump, has certainly changed his tune on that. I think when you look at, um, you know, candidates for the state house, you're going to hear candidates using uh, language from the Trump campaign and, and policy points that have been in, you know, in the Republican corner for the past, you know, eight years, six years, the, the, those cycles. So when it when it comes to that, again, I think what we're talking about is is a leadership style, um, someone who can can run the party and move it forward. And Christina Caramo was not demonstrating that it wasn't so much that her policy issues um, were the things that that drove people away from her it was the fact that the party is is literally and figuratively bankrupt um it is not in a place to um you know support its candidates statewide or within the state representative districts um heading into this very important election cycle so um it's not that the message is going to change it's not that all of a sudden people are going to run away from from donald trump everyone expects him to be the nominee everyone expects him to win here in michigan in the republic Republican primary, presidential primary. So again, uh, you know, the message and, and all of that is not going to change. Um, but what Republicans in Michigan are saying is we want to be a party that is organized, that, you know, is giving our candidates the opportunity to win. Um, and, and again, there are a lot of benefits that come from state party, whether it's franking privileges, whether it's being able to buy advertising at cheaper rates, um, centralizing a lot of campaign opportunities. And right now, the Republicans in Michigan just don't have that. Hmm. So uh, I want to end with uh, your reaction to something that my friend and yours, Nolan Finley, wrote recently. Uh, He says this is going to be a disastrous year for Republicans, that uh, they're just going to take a beating in Michigan in particular because of this uh, this this turmoil, and of course, uh, Nolan's a, a conservative, and and of course would be enthusiastic about uh, the prospect of uh, Republicans taking back the, the the legislature or or getting a Senate seat for the first time since the late nineties. Uh, I, I wonder if you feel as uh, gloomy, I guess, about the prospects at this point. I, I don't disagree with Nolan all that often, but this is one of those positions where I am going to differ from him. I think Republicans have a fantastic opportunity to take back hmm. the state house, and even though um, they are not organized, at, you know, at the state level, you know, the state party, I do believe that there are fundraising efforts going on through the Republican caucus. Um, I do think that because it is a what I call a minimized playing field. I mean, you're not trying to win. Uh, 15, you know, 15, 16 seats, you really just need to, to find three or four seats that, that you could win to, to switch over control of the House. You have Donald Trump running very, very well here in, in Michigan. Um, what you see is voters not supporting Joe Biden. And, and what that means to me is if Democratic voters either stay at home or they peel off and vote for third parties, you're looking at less and less voters doing straight party ticket, um, which then gives individual candidates and individual seats the opportunity to to go and win. 
I think obviously the the Senate seat depends on on who the candidates are. But again, I, I think that you're going to see Republicans coming out and voting in November, and there's not going to be a lot that detracts them from that. So it's it's as it usually is. It's going to be a turnout battle, and if Democratic voters go elsewhere, they choose not to vote. Hmm. That's going to benefit Republicans on down down ticket races. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's quite a prediction, uh, Dennis. I, I I am really glad I asked that question because that's not what I predict. Uh, you would say so uh, always great to, to have you here thanks so much for joining us thank you Stephen I appreciate it we'll be right back with more Detroit Today We are talking about how Republicans in Michigan are interpreting this moment, but the party is connected, of course, to a national network of Republicans. And a lot of the time, the state party is taking cues directly from national party leaders, particularly from former President Donald Trump. Now we're going to talk about why Republicans have been struggling to win big in the last few election cycles. And we've got uh, a really great guest here to do it. Tim Carney is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a center-right think tank in Washington, D.C., and he writes a lot about American politics. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So I'll start here. Two years ago, you wrote a piece titled, Ditch Trump or Lose? And in it, you wrote, quote, until the former president is out of the picture, the Republican Party and American conservatism cannot thrive. Now, fast forward to January of 2024, and in some ways that was maybe prescient, but in some ways uh, the, the, the former president seems as popular as ever, if not more, in some places, in some ways. So I wonder... Uh, what you make of that assessment now? Well, so sh- certainly Donald Trump has, he actually has higher favorability ratings than Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump leads in the swing state polls, as your guest Dennis was just saying. Mm-hmm. And so on those questions, he does not seem to be sort of a a cancer on the party dragging them down in the way that it might have seemed shortly after he left office, after you know trying to claim that he had won. But I do think that he is still day to day harming the party. And in fact, I've been using Michigan as, as a perfect example of that for years, that he brings in votes. You know, the white working class rallying behind Trump is never was never clear anywhere uh, as clear as it was in Michigan in 2016. Right. He won. He won Macomb County. Like that was that was a shocking thing to think about, you know, in the, in the Mitt Romney or George Bush days of the, the Republican Party. Mm hmm. But those benefits to him electorally are part of a bigger picture, which hurts the party. So the reason that Democrats now control both chambers of the legislature, easily won the statewide offices there, I think is directly related to Trump. That what Trump does is he wins for himself a lot of the working class white vote, and he turns off for the whole party a lot of the college-educated vote, whether you're talking about Ann Arbor or the Grand Rapids part of the state. And so he's not making new Republicans out of the working class whites. Those people still vote for Gretchen Whitmer. She wins Macomb County. Mm-hmm. But he is making Democrats out of the sort of the what I used to call the white bread vote, the upper middle class 
suburban college-educated vote. So I still think while he is relatively popular, especially relative to Joe Biden, I do think he's harming the party in Michigan and that that's a microcosm of the the rest of the state, the rest of the country. Yeah. So so in in some ways that is playing out right now inside the party, right, with uh, this chair, Christina Karama, who has had for for many different reasons, I think, just a terrible time trying to raise money and get organization together for uh, for this year. And of course, she's Mm -hmm. she's somewhat tied to Donald Trump. I mean, not. Not directly, but you know the the, the difficulty that Republicans seem to be having is uh, that there are people like Christina Caramo and uh, others who are popular enough to get their hands on the wheel of of the party of the party. Yes, yeah. So I mean, trying to be a mini Trump is the way I describe it, and mini Trumps can often win a primary or win an intra-party contest, such as state party chairman. But none of them have anywhere near the broader success that Donald Trump has. In other words, there are some people who look at him and say, oh, what's really popular are, is his talk on immigration or trade. And they try that and it doesn't work. Some people say what's really popular, what must work is just his style and the way he talks and the combative way he is. And, you know, if, if a guy takes a little dose of that to try to be more combative, J.D. Vance, maybe that works. But then they try to go all out. They're not Donald Trump. Donald Trump is sui generis. He, I'm, I'm from New York, so I remember him on the <laughs> on the front pages of the Daily News, the New York Post, all the all the tabloids down there, day in day out. He is a character unlike any other in American history, which is probably a good thing. But it also means that if you are a Republican who's trying to follow the Trump playbook, Carrie Lake in Arizona was a, a perfect example. Mm-hmm. It it hasn't worked out for you beyond possibly getting the Republican nomination. But then the fact that these many Trumps are getting the Republican nomination, getting the Republican Party chairmanships, means that the the party is largely getting taken over by people who are running this failed experiment of trying to be a mini Donald Trump. So mm-hmm. that's how I make sense of the fact that he's still beating uh, Joe Biden. Trump is still beating Joe Biden in swing state polls. But the party seems to be lagging. Look mm-hmm. at the state legislatures that have been lost across the country, the governorships that have been lost across the country, the House seats, the Senate seats that have been lost in the Trump era. The Trump era, to me, is a, a, a steady march of Republicans losing ground that they used to hold while Donald Trump stays at about his 47 and a half percent. So I also want to talk about how much of this is about what Republicans believe and what they do once they're elected uh, in office, and and you know this this real split, I guess, that exists in the party, not just between Donald Trump and other candidates, but his brand of conservatism and the more traditional, I guess, uh, conservatism that mm-hmm. that that other candidates uh, uh, would would espouse. Um, is it that? Is it that Republicans need to turn back to that more traditional uh, political base in order to do better? Or is this really just about uh, candidates and their their likability or, or their appeal? And, 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 and here I'm getting at someone like a Nikki Haley from South mm-hmm. Carolina, right, who, who appears, uh, you know, in the way that she talks, in the way that she relates to people – 
much more appealing. But of course, her politics aren't that different from uh, from someone like Donald Trump. I mean, a, a lot of the policies she would pursue would would look the same. So I think it's it's kind of complicated. I think politics is largely what what the young people would call vibes, and and that <laughs> some a, a couple policies around the edge can really influence the vibes. After 2012, I was one of the main people saying Mitt Romney has the lay of the land totally wrong. His famous 47 percent speech where he said, you know, the 47 percent of the country that's successful, they're going to vote Republican because they love the American system. 47 percent that's not successful. Well, we'll never get them to take responsibility of their lives. And and this was so it, it wasn't just offensive and demeaning by Romney. It was so blind to the fact that a lot of the working class in America, and not just the white working class, the Hispanic, black and white working class, was alienated by the Democratic Party in a variety of ways. And that there's at the top of the Democratic Party, Chuck Schumer, the, the top Senate Democrat, had been pushing for the party to become the party of Wall Street, the party of the rich, the party of the elites for years, because it makes fundraising easier, mm-hmm. because these are higher propensity voters, you know, college educated, married couple in the suburbs with a couple of kids in a really nice public school, that those people turn up to vote and are reliable. It's, uh, there's more reliable ways to communicate to them. The, there were top Democrats who saw if we become the party of the country club, we'll really benefit from that. And there's a lot of working class people who basically wanted an excuse to vote Republican, but were continually pushed away by people like Mitt Romney. And Trump basically saw that. He wasn't the only one who saw it. In the, in the primaries uh, in 2008, 2012, Mike Huckabee challenging John McCain saw that. You had Rick Santorum, who people thought of as the religious right candidate when he was really battling Romney, but he was really the populist working class candidate. And so Trump was the first one to really tap into that. So going back to the old way where they're trying to be the country club party, I don't think is the right route for the Republicans for a variety of reasons. I think a sort of populism hmm. that doesn't um, that doesn't rely on a scapegoating and a conspiracy theory and um, it's, partly is it's the vulgarity of Trump. Sure. If you think about those of us who, you know, people who listen to public radio, people who finish college, people who go on and they sort of acquire what I call the, the bourgeois virtues. Just you don't talk that way. All right. Like the, you don't you don't use uh, you don't stereotype all Mexican immigrants. You don't put down everybody who disagrees with you as pathetic and losers. Mm-hmm. And all of those bourgeois virtues that we think are, are connected to sort of morality. Well, Trump just scoffs at all of them. That has an appeal, again, to a certain part of the electorate that's not insignificant, but it's definitely what's turning people off and allowing Democrats to take over a Kent County, allowing Democrats to take sure. over to win in Georgia because of the suburbs. And so is it possible to tap into the populism while also not alienating the upper middle class suburban vote? I think Haley is kind of trying to do that, yeah. whether... If she got the nomination, it would be an experiment in that. But right now, all the signs obviously point towards Trump being the Republican nominee. Sure, sure. Uh, we've only got about a minute left, but I, I want to get your kind of prognostication uh, of what's going to happen this year, not just in Michigan, but but nationally. I mean, here we've got, I think, a particular problem with, with the, the, the dispute over who's even going to be in charge. Uh, but, but Republicans have this challenge, uh, this substantive challenge, 
uh, everywhere, it seems. What, what do you think this year will look like? Well, I think Donald Trump is going to win Iowa, win New Hampshire, and then walk away with the Republican nomination. Um, I think, And when you look at the polls in all the swing states, Trump leads. Does he have an organizational disadvantage? Because, again, an election is determined by your ability to a uh, party's ability to target uh, high like voters and get them to turn out yes. to persuade swing voters organization. The fact that the, the Michigan Republican Party is in disarray doesn't offset the fact that this is now Trump's third run. He has people who really know how to do this. If anybody thinks, yeah. oh, well, the Trump's too out of uh, disorganized to win, they're really uh, making a mistake. I, I see a barn burner of a race between Trump and Biden and all the swing states, including Michigan. Wow. Wow. Okay, uh, Tim Carney of the American Enterprise Institute. Really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.